That is a great refrain and look forward to singing that more after this time with God's Word. Please open your Bibles up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't know where 1 Corinthians is, you can look it up on your phone, find that table of contents in your Bible, or just kind of start flipping towards the end of your Bible. And uh, we're going to look at the 15th chapter. Um, What we're going to do this month is we're going to start looking at some of the good news of Christianity because we could use some good news. Uh, I don't know about you, but there have been plenty of days when I've said to a family member, maybe Melissa, my wife, or one of my kids, hey, give me some good news. What's the good news today? I need some good news. You ever felt like that? You know, you watch TV just a little too much, watch the news just a little too much, look in the mailbox a little too often, see all this bad news stuff coming at you. Um, so we're going to look at um, not just the good news. We're going we're gonna to look at the, the, the great news, the the revolutionary great news. I've heard it put like this, the breakthrough news of Christianity. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. The news we all need to hear. Not the new that we all need to hear. The news that we all need to hear. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you stand firmly to the word that I preached to you. Otherwise, you will have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And we're going to stop right there. Maybe we'll look at the next few verses next week. The the bottom note in your note sheet, maybe we'll get to that one next week. We're not going to get to it today. As we begin, um, Father, we, we thank you for this word of good news. And may it take up residence in our heart. May it flood our mind so that we become people who are good news people and that are able to let this world know of the good news. In Jesus' name, amen. So we saw the word gospel in this text. The the word gospel means good news. Many uh, of us are accustomed to thinking that actually, uh, more precisely perhaps, Uh, The word gospel means good announcement. Something is being announced like angels making an announcement, a good announcement. We'll read one of those good announcements 
in just a minute. Now, the word gospel often uh, is thought of as a churchy word, but many of you know that uh, it really isn't a churchy word. The church uses it, Christians use it, but Christians didn't come up with that word to describe something about uh, the, the, the Christian life. That was a political term back in the days of the the Greek and, and ancient Roman empires. And actually, uh, the, the term gospel was used um, in, in moments, if you were to put yourself in the, in, in the situation, there would be uh, kind of tense-filled moments, and you are waiting to hear this good announcement. So, for example, if, there, uh, if uh, the men in your city or town uh, we're going off to war, fighting for Caesar, or maybe fighting against Caesar. Um, and, and, and there was a battle going on. You would, you would be waiting to hear the report. There wasn't the, you know, no, you know, no nightly news back then, no Twitter feeds for you to check out how the progress is going. And you would wait, and, and ultimately there would be a messenger who would come back to your, to your city and hopefully, you, you, you would be hoping that messenger would, would say, I, I am proclaiming the gospel, the gospel, the good announcement, the good news. Caesar is victorious. Uh, none of us are going to be taken away as slaves. Uh, we, we won. That's the good news. Or maybe you were on the opposite side of that, and Caesar did win. Uh, and your town was then going to be taken over. There would be an announcement, a messenger. I give you the good news of Caesar. Caesar is Lord, and if you will um, only honor Rome, then Caesar promises his peace to you. So that word gospel was used in a very political sense in uh, in ancient times. Um, and the gospel was related to who had victory? Who was king? So, what is the gospel? I'm going to give you several statements about the gospel for you to fill in notes if you'd like. The first is this. The gospel, it's about a person. The gospel is Christ. Christ is king. That's what's being proclaimed. So, that angelic announcement that I promised. Luke chapter 2. Verses 10 and 11, the angel appeared to the shepherds. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I bring you the gospel, this good announcement that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. The Messiah is the Hebrew word for God's anointed one. The Messiah was understood to be the king the coming king. So just as in the Roman Empire and cities that were worried about war and who was going to be king, good news, Caesar's king. No, the angel is saying, good news. A new king has arrived, and that king is Jesus. Jesus, too, preached the good news, the gospel. We read that term in, 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 in the, the gospel books themselves, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus is 
Teaching the good news. The kingdom of God has come near, Jesus said. Repent and believe the gospel, the good announcement. The kingdom is coming. I'm the new king. That's the announcement. You Romans, you Jews who are fed up with the Romans, good news. There's a new king coming, and it's Jesus. He's the true king. He's in charge. So if someone were to ask you, what is the gospel? You can answer in this way. The gospel is Jesus Christ. He's the true king, and he is in charge. That's the gospel. But you could say more. Because the gospel is Christ, but also the gospel is an event. A real historical event. So look in your Bibles. uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Paul says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. What is it? What is Paul trying to emphasize when he says according to the Scriptures? It must be important because the very next verse, look at verse 4. He says the same thing, according to the Scriptures. Well, what Paul meant by according to the Scriptures might not be what you first instinctively might think. Because you might think, well, he... He's referring to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and what they said about Jesus dying and rising from the grave. But that's not what Paul was meaning, because those four documents, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, they were written much later than what than this time right here when Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Paul couldn't have meant any part of the New Testament when he wrote according to the Scripture. So he's referring to the Old Testament. He's connecting the event of the death and the resurrection of Jesus to the ancient storyline of the Old Testament. Jesus fulfills that storyline. So let's look at one example of that. Um, I want to take you a little bit later in, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, and we find this. Paul writes this, For since death came through a man... The resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So in Genesis chapter 3, we have the account of Adam and Eve. Um, the, the, the first human beings, and they, they sinned against God. God says there is a death sentence that goes with that. And Paul says in his letter to the Romans, that that very thing, the wages of sin is death. Sin gets you death. Now, how is that? We have to look at what sin is and what sin sin really is. Um, So let's talk about a serviceable definition of sin. A serviceable, like, you know, this is is an adequate, it's a decent definition of sin, a serviceable definition of sin is that sin is any action or deed that goes against the will of God. Uh, God states his will to Adam, do not eat from this particular tree. Adam eats the fruit from that particular tree. That is going against the will of God. Now, many non-Christians have looked at that story. And said, okay, so let me, let me, let me, let me get this straight. There was good fruit to eat in the garden, yes. 
God said that it was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good fruit to eat in the garden. And that forbidden fruit, that was good. Or at least it was good looking to eat. Yes, yes. But God said, don't eat that fruit. And Adam ate it. And that sin, yes, yes, yes. Okay. And then as a result of that, God's judgment against Adam is that Adam gets the death penalty just for eating that fruit. See, that's why I don't really want to have anything to do with that crazy, vengeful God of yours. So we have to think about what sin really is. Sin is not just disobeying nitpicky rules. Yeah, you ate that one fruit. Not that big of a deal? Just a nitpicky rule? No. Sin is not making a little mistake here or there. It's not, oh, you know, I got, yeah, God wants me to be loving to everyone, but yeah, I know today at school I made fun of that boy and kind of hurt his feelings and, you know, oh, well, I guess I'll try harder tomorrow. Maybe, maybe. Is it that big of a deal? Sin is not making a little mistake here or there. What, what really is sin? Sin is our attempt to be our own God. Sin is an uprising against the God who created us. God created us to belong to him, and by sinning we are saying, God, we don't belong to you. We belong to ourselves. So what is that? That is thievery. Sin is thievery. John Stott, uh, Anglican pastor and scholar and and writer, uh, he described sin as substitution. When we sin, we are substituting God with ourselves. We're, we're rejecting God. We're rejecting the Lord so that we can be our own Lord. You see the substitution in that? When we sin, we tell God, God, we know much more about how to run our life than you do. And in doing so, what have we done? We have removed ourselves from the very source of life. And when you remove yourself from the very source of life, what happens? You die. You have death. And God does exercise his judgment over that thievery when we say to him, I belong to myself, I don't belong to you. He does exercise his judgment against the rebellion against him. We die in Adam, Paul says. But, so in Christ, we will be made alive. You see, there's another substitution. Okay? There, there, there's the, the good news substitution. We try to substitute God with ourselves. Yes, that's the bad substitution. Stott says there's another substitution that takes place, and that is what God does with us. He substitutes himself in our place. He takes the death sentence that we deserve. Remember, Paul says, this is all, all according to the Scriptures, right? So, another important Scripture from the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 tells us, He poured out His life unto death and was numbered for the transgressors. Who's the transgressors? That's, yeah, that's me, that's you, that's human beings, humanity. For He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. There's, there's that substitution. God's saying, now, 
You, you try to take my place, but here's how it's, how it's going to go. I'm going to take your place. And that's the crux of the gospel, that Jesus took our place in receiving God's wrath, that death penalty. Jesus undoes what happens in Genesis chapter 3. As an Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Christ takes the death that we deserved so that we can have the life that he deserves. And then Paul says, back to what we read earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ was buried. Now, why does he say this? Because he's already said that that Jesus died for our sins. Well, I think for one important reason, so the people that's listening to Paul or hearing from Paul, that they would know that Jesus really did die. Uh, You know, an early hearer of this perhaps could have questioned, well, yeah, 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 Jesus was on the cross And maybe they did get his body off that cross, and he looked really dead. He looked beaten up and dead, and they took him in a room and set him on a mat. But maybe he wasn't really dead. Maybe maybe he kind of came to himself, and he kind of crawled out of there and got got out of Dodge. Uh, No, they laid his body in a tomb that was sealed and secure. They buried him. He was dead. See, all of this, what Paul is saying, is this this very early verbal tradition, like a very early form of a creed. We said the Apostles' Creed earlier, like a very, very, very early uh, uh, creed that was spread around at the time as more and more people became Christian for people to know this is what we really believe. And the remarkable thing is how reliable what Paul is saying yeah, see, see, this letter from Paul to the Corinthians, many people date it like early 50s, like 50, 51, 52, early 50s. All right, so that's right around 20 years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. 20 years. And here's the significance of that. See, many people question, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, did the, the truth claims of Christianity, they're, they're so fantastic. They're, they're, it's like wishful thinking. It's, what happened? Was it like, yeah, Jesus died. He was gone. His followers were brokenhearted and they just so wanted him to, 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 to they, they missed him and, and they just started telling stories of him being alive. And you know how stories go. They start grow, growing legs, and they get bigger and bigger. And over time, over time, over time, over the next several centuries, this myth, this wishful thinking is just cemented into truth. Is that what happens? No. Paul is writing this within 20 years of Jesus' crucifixion. People would have remembered things very well. You think 20 years ago. Where are we? 2023? Let's go back to 2003. Can you think of something from 2003? Hey, let's take back two more years. Uh, If you're over 30 in this room, I know if you think back to September 11, 2001, you could tell me where you were when you saw towers go down. You could tell me, yeah, I was in my living room. Oh, no, actually, I was at the office. I was in my car hearing it on the radio. That was 22 years ago. 
we have good memories. We can remember that far back. Things become really clear when we're remembering something like that. So do you think that those who knew Jesus would have remembered what happened on the cross and in the tomb really well over the course of 20 years? Absolutely, of course. So Paul is describing this very early tradition, very reliable, handed down from Christians. Look at verse 3. Paul writes, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And that word for received means... Huh, it, it, you know what it doesn't mean? It doesn't mean, yeah, here, I, I heard this from a, a guy in a bar one day. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not what that word means. That word means uh, coming alongside, like for intentional teaching or, or receiving instruction. So it wasn't, it, yeah, it wasn't Paul. Yeah, I just, I, here's, you know, I picked this up from some stranger. <laughs> no. Paul came alongside the, the, the original followers of Jesus, the disciples, the apostles, and he heard from them about what happened with Jesus' death and crucifixion and resurrection. And then Paul says about this gospel, let's keep going, uh, verses 4, 5, and 6, that Christ was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared. He just kept appearing. He appeared to more than 500 other brothers and sisters at the time, most of whom are still living. And then he says, and he appeared to me. So let's think about the significance of Jesus appearing. Paul says, Christ actually appeared to Peter and to the original apostles, and then to the 500 others, most of whom are still alive. So why is he, why, why is he saying these things? Well, he's telling people, listen, this, this happened only 20 years ago. These 500, these disciples, they're still around. If you want to find out if this is true, go, find, go ask them, because they're still around. Go, go find Tom. Go, go find Jim. Ask him about it. They were there. They'll tell you. Jesus appearing just made a whole lot of people eyewitnesses. But think about this too. After the empty tomb, how do you think the disciples got the power to do what they did next? In the years to come is what I mean. Um, see, here's another thing. The disciples of Jesus, they did not expect him to rise from the grave. Do you know that? The disciples did not expect Jesus to rise from the grave. That is clear. You know, a few of those disciples, when Jesus died, they went back to fishing, which they gave up for the three years that they followed Jesus. Well, Jesus is dead and they're like, okay, time to go back fishing. They were not expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. The women who went to the tomb, they, 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 they brought the, the burial spices. They, they, were gonna, they, were, they were expecting to find his body in the tomb. They were not expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. And, and when the reports from the women came back that the tomb was empty, I, it wasn't like you know one of the disciples said, yeah, that's my Jesus. High five, he's alive. No, that's not what happened. The disciples were scared. 
They weren't running out on the street saying Jesus was alive. They were scared for their lives. No, it was after Jesus appeared to them that something happened. And they saw for their own eyes, Jesus is alive. And after that, everything was different. After that, there was no more fear. They did go out and they shouted and they taught. And the authority said, you teach, we're going to beat you, we're going to throw in jail. And we don't care what you say because Jesus is alive. They'd seen the resurrected Jesus. So here's the gospel. So what's the gospel? This is what Paul writes. The gospel. Let's write these things down. It's It's just what Paul wrote. We should know this. The gospel is Christ died for our sins. He took that death penalty for us. He really died. He was buried. And he was raised from the dead. He's alive in bodily form. Not spirit form, in bodily form. And he appeared and made many people eyewitnesses. The gospel was life-changing, fear-destroying, joy-filling news. And if it isn't that for you, it can be. How? It's in the resurrection. You see, Jesus says, pardon me, Jesus says just the most astounding thing. It's recorded in John chapter 11. You know the story. Lazarus is dead, his friend. Mary and Martha, the sisters, are brokenhearted. Martha goes out. Jesus, if you had been here earlier, Lazarus wouldn't have died. What does Jesus say? Jesus tells her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? All right. Never die? What do you mean, even though they die, they will never die? Jesus, that is confusing. The answer goes back to Genesis 3. Um. Or Genesis 2, if you prefer, Adam. God makes Adam the first human being. Uh, we often think Adam as the, the prototypical human being. Have you, have you ever, you know, uh, have you ever seen a bad looking picture of Adam, like, you know, in the, the, you know, the, the picture Bibles? Adam generally is a good-looking dude, right? You know, why? Because, oh, we think he's the prototypical, he's like the perfect creation of a human being. He's the prototypical human being. He's the first one. He's the prime example of being human, isn't he? No, he's not. He's not the prime example. Jesus is the prime example of being human. I cannot say that more emphatically. And not only does Jesus show us what it means to be human, we become truly human when we put our faith in Jesus. In a nutshell, 
we share in Jesus' life when we put our faith in Him. We receive His life. He's the true human. All in Christ will be made alive because He's the true human. His life becomes our life. In John 15, what does Jesus say? I am the vine. You are the branches. What does the vine do? The vine is the source of life to the branches, not the other way around. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, if you abide in me, if, if you're connected to me and, and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. Why? Because you have my life flowing in you. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, apart from my life and you, you're dead. You can do nothing. Now, that's pretty amazing, right? Well, look at this one. Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. What do you mean, Paul, that you've been raised with Christ? Doesn't that happen? I don't know. After we die, isn't that when we get raised with Christ? No. Since you have been raised with Christ, Paul says, you've already been raised with Christ to new life. Friends, this is the gospel. You've already been raised with Christ to new life. And if I have a new life, what does that mean? It means I've died already. My old self is dead. Verse 3. So back, back, to, back to this scripture. Let's keep reading it. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, or Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Why? For you've died. You've died. And your life is now, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Verse 3, you have died and your life is now hidden. And we think, okay, okay, no, 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 my life, it's right here. I, I get it. You know, I haven't died. My life is here right now. So many people think this. My life is here. And you know what? If things are pretty bad, well, I guess I'm having a bad life right now. Maybe things will turn around. Maybe I'll get lucky. Maybe there'll be a turnaround and things will get better. Maybe I'll be happy and I'll have some great stuff, great experiences. And maybe then I'll have a good life. No. Your real life is with Christ. Listen, this is crazy stuff, right? If you want to read another scripture, write this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. Not going to read it today. If you want extra reading, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You have died in your life. You have new life with Christ. You've died. No, I haven't. Yes, you have. If you believe in Christ... You share in Jesus' death. See, Jesus took on death. He is the one who died. He died all the way, and he defeated death. Jesus, on the cross, he's like, death, you do your worst to me. Don't hold back. And death did not hold back, and then Jesus defeated death. And oh yes, oh yes, your body, my body, one day will give out. One day, one way or another. But death has already been defeated for you in Christ, and so now your life is also with Christ, and He's alive. And so you, like Jesus said, if you're in Christ, you will never, never die. 
And that, my friends, is the gospel. Um, a story came to my mind, maybe to help make a, a little extra sense out of this. Donald Barnhouse, uh, old Presbyterian pastor, uh, from about 100 years ago, uh, his second wife died, and he was with his, his daughter trying to console her and himself get through the grief. One day he was walking um, with his daughter down a street, curb there, a truck comes by. They're at a corner, and the, the truck kind of swerves around the corner pretty close to them, so much so that, that Dr. Barnhouse grabbed his daughter, and, and, um, and she was frightened. And he said to his daughter, Okay, do you, do you know... Uh, do you know how we are sad about mommy? Yes, yes. Well, when that truck came by, did it hit you or just the shadow of the truck hit you? It was just the shadow of the truck. And then he said, well, in the same way, when mommy died, it wasn't death that hit her. It was just the shadow of death. You see, death hit Jesus. It was this, as if Jesus stepped out in front of that truck so that he would be hit full on so that only its shadow would ever hit us. And that is the gospel. And when the shadow of death does hit us, that that real life of ours that is hidden with Christ, hidden in Christ with God, then we take full possession of it. And I want you to think, who's the hero in all this story, by the way? Who's the hero? Who's the one who stepped out in front of the truck to make all of this happen, to defeat death? so that only a shadow would ever hit us. Who's the hero? It is Jesus. It is the Christ. It is our Savior. He took on death. He forgives our sins by taking that death penalty on him that should have gone to us. And he says, if you are in me, you've already participated in my death, and you have my eternal life in you. You are an eternal being with a living Savior in you. And that will help you face anything that you are going through. Listen, for this month, we want to learn, think about this gospel and be people that it shapes. Maybe that's that next bullet point that we didn't get to, as the grace shapes us into people that then We've got a new Sunday school class, shining your light. Let your light shine so that we become people that shine the light of the gospel with our very lives. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, Jesus, you are the hero.
You defeated death. You took our place. You shed your blood. You suffered the wrath of God. And then as a gift to those who believe, you give us your riches and your life. May we know this union that we have with you. May we abide in you. May you abide in us. Not metaphorically. We don't need metaphors of that. We need reality of us abiding in you and you abiding in us. Lord, we humble ourselves before you this morning. Every person in this room, humbling ourselves before you and asking for your life to reign in our lives. We pray this in the name of our Savior who has done it all for us, Christ. Amen.